Welcome to the Game Dev Field Guide. Today, we will be studying the video game genre of horror, and you too shall learn the terrible power of horror game development. Hey, how's it going, everyone? I hope you're doing well. Welcome to the 18th episode of the Game Dev Field Guide. I am your host, Zachavelli. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at underscore Zaccavelli underscore. And as always, there is an open invite link to the community Discord in the show notes. As always, we're going to start today's episode with the Game Dev Challenge. This is the first two-part Game Dev Challenge. This is part two. Part one, if you don't remember was to make some sprite art and add a little background text for a monster for a horror video game. And as inspiration, I kind of gave some examples like Pyramid Head from Silent Hill, um, the Necromorphs from Dead Space, stuff like that, stuff from the kind of um, iconic uh, horror video games. And so for part two of this challenge, I want you to take your monster design, your art and background text, um, do some game design revolved around your monster. Specifically, I want to know the game mechanic that allows you to defeat the monster, but I'm going to favor game mechanics that don't involve killing or harming the monster. And we will get why this is later in the episode, but just for now, know that I will be favoring game designs, um, mechanic designs for your monster that allow the player to deal with it without killing it or harming it. And this actually has to do with how you want the player to feel, like their power relative to the monster. It's not because I have like a, <laughs> some kind of soft spot for um, grotesque uh, creatures or anything. Speaking of grotesque creatures, let's talk about the winner of the part one uh, for the Game Dev Challenge from episode 17. Like I said, the challenge was to make some sprite assets and design like a backstory and kind of do the artistic side of the monster design. And the winner from episode 17 is FD11. And FD11 made a great post on the Game Dev Challenge channel of the Discord. I will read you the accompanying text to the art. Maybe I'll describe the art first. So the art is a post with like a, uh, what is that called? A noose. It's a post with a noose hanging from it. And it's kind of got like little spider legs. And so yeah... I guess from like an imagery standpoint, that can be quite upsetting, but wait till you <laughs> hear what this creature does. So the accompanying text reads, The Cave Gallows, a quadruped creature that lurks in the walls of mines. It has centipede-like feeding instrument that wraps around its victim and shreds its victim's flesh with blade-like teeth. After tearing through the flesh, the instrument then sucks out the newly exposed flesh and bodily fluids. And this post is really cool because it has like a diagram of the actual noose, like the rope hanging from it. And you see that the rope is really this like feeding instrument with teeth kind of like coming out of the rope. And then he has a, a drawing that says a cave gallow about to consume a meal, and it's a 
like a person with a lantern in a cave and then this cave gallows creature is sneaking up on him. I really like this idea because it reminds me of a classic like RPG trope, which is the mimic. If you don't know what a mimic is, it's it's uh, usually it's like a chest, like a treasure chest. And when you go to open it, it turns out to be like this monster with teeth where like the lid opens. Although there's lots of different kind of versions of mimics. They kind of are just monsters with teeth that imitate inanimate objects. And this reminds me a lot of that from like a gallows or a post with a noose on it, which is already like a scary enough thing, but then to double down on the scariness and the grossness too. It talks about sucking out the exposed flesh. So yeah, I thought this was a great post by FD11. Um, The diagram was an awesome touch. The, The picture with the cave gallows creature in action was awesome the description's awesome just an all-around perfectly creepy and grotesque monster design and i'm excited to see what fd11 does in the um game mechanic design for part two with this cave gallows creature if you want to submit your own design don't forget you can go on to the discord um and submit your idea remember for part two it is designing the game mechanic that goes along with the monster if you happen to miss part one that's fine just do part one and part two for next episode and yeah i'm really looking forward to everyone's submissions so with that let's go on over to the body of the episode so today's episode is on horror video games um, and specifically things you should think about when designing and making horror video games. And so first, we kind of got to start with the genre of horror itself. Um, Of course, horror exists outside the world of video games. And I think having a good understanding of horror outside of the video game world would be a good bonus to have when you're making your own game. By this, I mean studying things like horror in film or in books, TV, stuff like that, other formats outside of video games. Um, For the purposes of this show, we will just be talking about horror in the video game sense, although there will be a few points that kind of dip into these other formats. But I think that video games actually offer a kind of horror that you can't get anywhere else. And this is because of the interactive nature um, in a video game. In a movie, you can be like me and just hold a pillow over your face when like the scary part's coming up, right? If you just close your eyes or block your view of the screen, the scary part comes and goes and you don't have to like experience it fully. In a video game, in order to progress, you must interact and experience the horror. There's no closing your eyes because you have to play the game. You have to control the character. To get through the scary parts, you have to pay attention and get through them yourself. And that's why I think that horror video games offer a unique experience when it comes to the horror genre. And yeah, I think it's just a cool thing to explore. And today we're going to talk about um, some tips and maybe some things you should think about when designing them and... Keep in mind that a lot of this stuff will be unique to the horror genre of video games, if that makes sense. And just to clear this up right out of the way, if you want to make a good horror game, you definitely should go study a book or movie or film or any kind of horror that inspires you. 
um, outside of video games. Because what I don't want you to think is that there should be a separation of video game horror and traditional horror mediums, I guess. The elements of these two things will be shared, and it's more of like a complementation instead of separation, if that makes sense. So if you want to make a truly great horror game, I think you should know a lot about um, all the mediums of horror, including video games. And I also want to uh, make this clarifier that the kind of games we're talking about are predominantly horror games and not genres with horror elements, or games with horror elements, rather. An example of a game with horror elements is the first Halo. There's a level in the first Halo that I won't spoil for you because it is really cool from a story standpoint. But anyways, in the first Halo, um, there's a level where you are introduced to the Flood, and it has all of the like marks of a horror story, but I wouldn't call the entire game of Halo horror. So yeah, there's a lot of action games and other kinds of genres that have horror elements and maybe they dip into horror for a few levels or maybe for part of the story. Uh, but what I'm talking about are games that are predominantly horror. These are games like Resident Evil, Silent Hill, Outlast, that Slender Man Flash game, <laughs> and of course the greatest horror game of all time, which will finish the body of the episode I'm talking about. But before I reveal to you what the greatest horror game of all time is, in my opinion, let's start talking about how horror games feel. Generally, they have slow pacing and make the player feel weak in terms of power. And what I mean by power is power relative to the monsters or conflicts that are um, impeding the player's progress. It's not that these games don't have moments where the player is strong, um, but it doesn't revolve around the power trip feeling. Let's go back to Halo for a second. Halo, in my opinion, revolves around a power trip feeling, right? Because you're playing as Master Chief, who's like a one-man army, and it's fun to be Master Chief. Even with a horror level, he does what he always does, which shoots his way out. To me, horror games don't revolve around this power trip feeling. And for the horror games I mentioned, although some of them do have shooting, exclusively shooting your way out is not really possible. And the ability to fight back against the monsters is on a scale in horror games. Um, you have games where you are totally helpless against the monsters, like Outlast. And then you have games like Resident Evil, where you can shoot and kill the monsters. But the important part is the pacing and sort of that power structure of how the player feels. Even in the Resident Evil games, where you kill the monsters, often you have to do that through great effort. Maybe you do it like slowly and efficiently. Um, it's never like the run-and-gun style. And yeah, I think for all of these games, the thrill comes from survival um, and not domination. Whereas games that revolve a little bit more around action and have horror elements, they kind of revolve around the thrill coming from domination, not just survival. This doesn't mean, though, that the player should not be able to defeat the challenges or feel weak when faced with a challenge. Um, they just have to solve their challenges more delicately with finesse and intelligence instead of brute strength. 
This means things like having to solve puzzles, set up traps, hiding to avoid fighting monsters rather than taking them on directly, things like that. I would argue that games where you can take on the threat directly um, when it comes to horror games are actually a different genre of horror, but that's kind of a in-between opinion. I'd love to debate that on Discord if anybody wants to reach out and talk about that. So if you remember, I said that all of these games usually have slow pacing. And the reason for that is that slower paced games help build tension because your decisions kind of matter more if you're going to be making less decisions um, because of the slow pace, if that makes sense. So understand that building tension and having the right pace is very important for a horror game. And the number one way to break the tension and mess up the pacing is to have your game be too difficult. Having your game be too difficult will mean that your player will run into a failure state, have to restart the level or however you have it set up in your game, and by having them restart the level, you're breaking all the tension that you built up to that point, and they're having to repeat a section so the second time the tension doesn't build as well because they already know what's coming. We'll get to jump scares in a second, but just know that if you have to repeat a section with a jump scare, the second time you go through it, it's not really that scary because you know it's coming. Of course, having a failure state and the potential for the player to lose helps build tension in its own way. So you're going to have to walk this fine line um, between like difficulty and building tension because the player doesn't want to lose. Another advantage of slow pacing is that it works well from a story standpoint um, and helps build tension for like a punchline, um, jump scare, or a lot of horror games kind of have mystery elements and you don't want to like go through your mystery super fast in the story because it's the mystery that keeps the game going. A good mystery has like little breadcrumbs and you just feed the player one by one by one in like a satisfying story arc way. If you just gave them all the breadcrumbs at first, then it wouldn't be as much of an adventure, I guess. But um, I mentioned jump scares, and maybe we should just go totally over to jump scares because they're a very integral part, I feel like, of horror video games. A lot of inexperienced horror game developers will use jump scares wrong, and this comes in the form of using them too often or too randomly, and this will be like the number one reason why the game is not well received. If used correctly, the jump scare can be a great tool um, to finally break the tension and kind of pay off and be the punchline to the scary part of the game or story. But what you don't want to do is to prematurely cash in on the tension um, for a jump scare and make it predictable so that the tension is broken before the player gets to the scare. The tension's broken before they get to the scare because they can see it coming. The best jump scares, in my opinion, are unpredictable, but when you look at them in hindsight, they are expected. Don't take that advice and just think that you can randomly throw up jump scares on the screen and that's going to work because they're unpredictable. I see too many horror video games do that. They try and be carried 100% by 
random, seemingly out of nowhere jump scares. And they usually accompany it with like a extremely loud noise or something like that. This will definitely startle the player. Um, but in hindsight, when they look back at why that happened, it won't make sense and they just won't feel fulfilled. It'll feel like they were cheated. Startling someone is really not that difficult and there's no like joy or fulfillment you get out of it. If I just blast an air horn in the middle of my office, for instance, it'll startle everyone around me, but they'll, they'll be like, why did you do that? But if I set up some kind of elaborate prank that scared someone, it would be like fulfilling. And after the scary part was over, it would be joyful. So that's the difference to me between startling someone and scaring someone. And startling in a video game is like a cheap trick that'll leave a bad taste in the player's mouth. So just remember that you want to build tension and pay it off with an unexpected jump scare, but not so unexpected that it doesn't make any sense why it happened. So I talked about building tension and you might ask, so how do I build tension, right? If you've never made a horror video game before or never studied horror at all, the idea of building tension might be new to you. So let's talk about tension for a second. Um, and this is where we're going to take some notes from other mediums of horror. A famous horror movie director, Alfred Hitchcock, said that there is no terror in the bang only the anticipation of it. And so from this quote, we can surmise that the anticipation of something bad or loud or scary is where the true terror lies. And to me, that's kind of another way of saying that the scary part is in the sort of tension that's built up before the scary part happens. So how do we apply this to horror video games? Well, first, Getting the atmosphere right is huge in building tension and anticipation. Um, the atmosphere is dependent on the environment, the art for the environment, the level design, the audio, things like that. The environment art, um, if you remember back to our level design episode, the environment art is basically how the setting looks. And this is definitely something that you could dip into other mediums to get right. Study how films make um, their sets scary, or maybe how a novelist describes a scene. Basically, most of the time when you do this, you're just going to come to the conclusion that making everything darker will make it more scary. And although that sounds incredibly simple, I think it's just straight up true. Um, just because it's like human nature to be afraid of the dark and be afraid of things that you can't see clearly. Um, that being said, I think there's some really unexplored territory um, in making things like bright, but also scary. I do not have the horror experience to be able to pull this off, but I think there's some really interesting um, ideas that could come from kind of things that are scary in the daytime or things that where everything seems perfectly and normal, but are kind of scary um, at the same time. Like I said, I don't know how to pull that off, but if you were looking to innovate in the horror video game space, I think that'd be a cool place to start. So level design is something that is unique to video games and therefore is unique to horror video games. And level design can be a great way to build 
tension. This is because the level design is how the player is going to navigate through your setting. And like I said earlier, you can't just close your eyes and be automatically navigated through the setting. You have to do it yourself. And so you can really manipulate this fact um, to kind of build tension organically. A great way to do this is to have tight corridors with sharp corners. Let's take a um, let's take a hallway. We're going to talk about hallways later, but let's take an L-shaped hallway, for instance. Um, that 90-degree turn that you have to make forces you as a player to look around a corner that maybe you don't want to look around because you're anticipating something on the other side. Remember, Alfred Hitchcock said the terror is in the anticipation. And so if you're like hearing noises from something around the corner, or maybe you just suspect there's going to be something scary there, the tension and terror is going to build when you're approaching the corner. And, you, and we've all had this in real life, something that maybe like you don't want to look at because you're afraid of what you might see, if that makes sense. On the flip side, wide open levels or levels with really large scale um, can be used to play to some phobias and maybe make the player feel small and weak. A good example of this is um, comes from two different games, one called Subnautica and the other called Soma. Um, in Subnautica, you're kind of like free diving in an alien ocean, and you get that really scary feeling of like the vastness of the ocean underneath you and even scarier is there are big alien creatures in that ocean that like swim underneath you and it it's, does really I don't even think it's a horror game per se but Subnautica definitely uses its large level design to really play to that phobia and Soma does the same Soma is, is a horror game that's set on like underwater research bases that are at the bottom of the ocean and there is a level where you get in this weird like elevator and you go down into a trench in the ocean and i gotta say that i picked both of these because i have a fear of this kind of abyss i don't i don't know what it's called but there's definitely a phobia where like you're afraid of really deep open water and all the things underneath you and yeah both these games really take me to that point and it's a credit to their level design, and it shows how you can use the large scale of a ocean um, in your level design to really exploit someone's phobias. The last thing I want to talk about with level design is that to remember to tell a story with the level design. And you could say maybe tell a story with both the level design and the environment art. That might be the more accurate way to put it. But you want to make the player pay attention to the details. This is true for, if you go back to the level design episode, um, I'm pretty sure I remember saying this in that. But yeah, if you can tell a story of like what happened in the room or wherever you are with small details, that really goes a long way towards the immersion of your game. It's one thing to have like a character in your game like say out loud what happened. But it's another thing to have your player realize and like connect all the dots themselves by paying attention to the details uh, and like the objects that are around them. And in horror games, this kind of means that um, they may miss things that you meant to be scary because they were looking at other things. 
This is especially true in like clue hunting type horror games because they might get so involved with like the mystery and looking for clues that they're totally ignoring the sort of ambient scary things or maybe the monsters like standing in the doorway but they're like opening every drawer in the room to look for a clue. So you got to keep in mind that um, if the player is going to pay attention to the details they might get like so zoomed into that that they miss the bigger picture. And that's kind of just human nature. You're going to have to figure out how to design around that. I recommend you do a lot of playtesting so that you know when these moments come and you can kind of maybe dial the player's focus to when it should be focused on the small things when and when they should be focused on the bigger picture things. But I think if you set up enough subtle, scary details, um, the people who do find those, it'll really improve the experience for them. Because some of the scariest things are things that are maybe unexpected or they don't think other people have also found. Think about like a movie. If a scary part happens in a movie and everyone in the theater is scared, you know, that comes and goes. That happens for like maybe it's a jump scare and that just happens. And yeah, when the jump scare is over, you're like, okay, everyone saw that. It's fine. But if you see something maybe in the background of one of the sets that is like, scary and you're one of the only people who sees it that's the kind of scary thing that'll like stick with you for a while because you'll be telling all the people you saw the movie with like did you see that and they're gonna think you're crazy and then you're gonna start to think you're crazy and then it's gonna be the kind of thing that like sticks with you and so yeah really cool details like that i think overall improve the quality of your game but let's get back to tension and the ways we can build it um so we already talked about building tension from like an environmental and setting and ambiance and we'll probably revisit it um, to talk about audio when we get to that point but I want to talk about building tension with your game mechanics. Building tension with the game mechanics is one of the core ways of building tension in a horror video game because of that interaction thing that I mentioned earlier. This is why you will see a lot of games where the main mechanic um, revolves around some kind of lighting or like flashlight or something like that. This is just another way to make the interaction with the game a little bit deeper and it can kind of build tension like maybe you have to manage your battery for your flashlight. Well, it really helps with the immersion and getting your player like bought in because of that interaction thing that I mentioned earlier. It's just one more thing to think about and maybe one more thing to worry about and maybe one more thing to drive the tension. Like, my battery's going to die, but I need the light to see, but do I want to turn the light to see <laughs> because maybe there's something I don't want to see? Um, another good way to build tension as far as the game mechanics is to use player resources. Kind of like with the batteries I was talking about, let's also talk about maybe bullets, for example. Having bullets and a gun make you feel safe um, because you feel like you at least have a fighting chance against whatever you're fighting. But when you run out of bullets, that can take the player into an even deeper level of uncomfort because now you don't have that safety of a gun with bullets. Just like with the flashlight, you don't have the safety of a flashlight that has a battery. This makes the player have to make a decision about dealing with scary things. Um, in the bullets example, 
they're faced with a decision, well, do they shoot the first scary thing they see? Um, if they do, then they might not have bullets to deal with anything more scary than that. And so it gets into this interesting dynamic that if they can control their fear and just bypass the first scary things they see, they might have bullets left for the really big scary things that come later in the level. And so yeah, you can use resources in any ways. I just pick bullets because it's pretty common. But of course there's a whole spectrum of horror games where there you don't fight the monsters at all. And so you have to build some kind of, I guess you don't have to, but if you're going to go this way to build tension, you want to build some kind of resource system um, so that the player is forced to kind of make these decisions. And it also helps them kind of, I guess, trains them to control their fear a little bit. Um, like if you have the flashlight on all the time, you're going to run out of battery fast. So you got to kind of deal with your emotions and conquer your fears a little bit. And I think that's interesting game design for horror games. Um, let's go back to the atmosphere and mood for a second, because I want to talk about building tension with the audio. Good audio effects um, and tone setting music will go a long way for making the atmosphere of your horror game. Setting the tone with music and like making it scary is a whole genre. There's a whole career of people with like composition and soundscapes and stuff like that. Um, and that's probably worth studying if your dream is to make like a great horror game. But just know that the music you choose or the music you make will be huge in setting the tone. And so you want to make sure that it's kind of evoking the right emotions, um, the ones that you intend the player to feel. Now, the audio effects can be used to tell us a story in the same way that the environment details and environment art do. And you can build tension with the audio effects just like you can with the level design and stuff like that. Remember, it's in the anticipation. So an example of a good audio effect that builds anticipation is maybe you hear footsteps in the hallway or a gunshot in the distance. These are both audio effects that tell a story and also lead to some kind of anticipation because it's not immediately apparent what's causing the audio effect, I guess. And the anticipation of like, is there someone in the hallway or why is there a gunshot in that house? Like those tell stories and kind of put the um, terror in the anticipation like Alfred Hitchcock said. And so, yeah, I guess to sum up all that stuff that I just said, um, it can put be put most simply, the kind of game loop of a horror game is that you want to build tension and pay it off with a unpredictable but um, logical jump scare or story element or some kind of punchline that relieves the tension. And then you build it up, and then you relieve it, and then you build it up, and you relieve it. And that's going to kind of form the core game loop of your horror game. And remember, we talked about in building the tension that really depends on your environment art, your storytelling, using the level design to build tension, the way that your music and audio effects tell a story, the way that all that stuff makes your player feel, and then also 
building tension using the game mechanics themselves. This is like causing stress in somebody by them improperly managing their resources. So you use things like that to build the tension and then your punchline, if you're going to do it in a jump scare way, just remember not to be cheap about it. Make sure that whether you use a jump scare or some kind of big story reveal or maybe even a moment of levity, like a humorous moment, something breaks the tension. Just make sure that that, whatever that is, that punchline, make sure it really hits hard and it really works. Because if it doesn't, then it's going to feel cheap. So I want to take the last part of the body of this episode to talk about what is, in my opinion, the best horror game of all time. And in my opinion, the best horror game of all time is actually a demo, and it never even made it to release as a full game. The game I am talking about is P.T. by Hideo Kojima. And I think Guillermo del Toro was also a part of it, but um, the game designer and game director was Hideo Kojima. So PT is short for Playable Teaser, and it was a demo that came out for PS4 in the August of 2014. It was a teaser for a game called Silent Hills. Um, It was going to be the next game in the Silent Hill series. Um, and it was going to star Norman Reedus from Walking Dead. Eventually, Kojima and Norman Reedus would work together on Death Stranding, which is Kojima's latest game. But yeah, this is kind of a gem that got lost uh, because it was a demo that was only available for download on the PS4, and you can't buy the game anywhere. So the only way you would have had it was if you downloaded it in August of 2014. I'm pretty sure that some people made a one-to-one remake of it, and you can download that somewhere on the internet. I'm not exactly sure where, but if you Google around, you'll find it. Or you could just go watch a YouTube Let's Play of it. It's not that long, and I'd really recommend it um, if you want to get into like the Halloween season. It's just it's really cool, and in my opinion, it's the best horror game of all time, even though it's only a demo. And I'll explain my case here in a second, but let's just talk more about the game. Um, The game takes place entirely in an L-shaped hallway with a bathroom connected to it. It's kind of in this, like, just think of a modern American um, suburban home. And just think about one hallway and a bathroom on the ground floor of that home. When you walk to the end of the L-shaped hallway... You open the door and you find yourself back at the door at the beginning of the hallway. So it's like a loop. You go out the door and all of a sudden you're in the hallway back at the beginning. So yeah, you're stuck in a loop. That's important to the gameplay. Each loop changes little details about the hallway. um, And you slowly have to unravel a mystery, sort of a murder mystery that took place in the suburban house. And online, you can look up a million interpretations um, about what made the game so good or what the meanings of the story was and stuff like that. But I just am going to talk about, in my opinion, why I think it's the best horror game. For starters, I think it's so good because its scope was incredibly small. Um, And that allows the game developers to focus on extreme details in order to build tension in a believable and relatable way. 
with them only having to develop a demo and having the entire game take place in this one hallway and bathroom, it really allowed them to like hyper-focus on all the environmental details and all the little things that make this such a quality game. And so, yeah, I, I'm not sure if it could have been repeated had this game actually made it to a full release because of the, the scope would have been a lot bigger and you wouldn't be able to have this de- amount of detail for an entire game. Although maybe the whole point was that the entire game was going to just take place in the house. That's possible too. I guess that's just speculation on what might have happened past the demo. But I think the quality is so high because the scope was limited to just the demo, I guess is what I'm getting at. The cool thing about these little details is that they change every loop. And if you're paying attention, you can piece together the story of what's happening. And it's kind of like open to interpretations. But there's all sorts of like symbolism small audio cues, and yeah, just crazy stuff to be uncovered for those people who are like really, really paying attention. And the game is kind of like a puzzle game, so it kind of forces the player to pay attention. And admittedly, I think this is the only misstep. Um, The puzzles can be like really confusing, so confusing to the point that I'm not sure if a normal person could beat the game. Um, the last puzzle specifically is crazy. I won't, I won't spoil it for you. Seriously, go watch someone complete the game. It's really cool, but I don't know how you would ever figure it out just playing the game. But yeah, anyways, all these little details really complement the core gameplay loop, and it really immerses you into this very small, personal sort of horror mystery. The game does a great job of building tension and paying it off at the right times. Remember earlier in the episode I said if the player has to replay the same section over, then it's going to make it hard to build tension. Well, obviously with this L-shaped hallway, you're just going through the same hallway over and over and over. But each time something is a little bit different, or sometimes a lot different, and this makes the player feel like, okay, what's it going to be this time? Or what's coming up next? And it's kind of always like you're afraid to look around that 90 degree turn in the hallway, but the mystery is so interesting and the different details are so interesting. It makes you wonder like what's going to happen next. So you're forced in like this weird spot where like you can't look away because you want to see what's going to happen, but you're also scared to look around the corner. So it really puts you in this emotional roller coaster. And it gets to the point where even making like a 90 degree turn or looking around um, like fills you with dread, but you want to keep doing it because you want to figure out the puzzles and you want to figure out the mystery. It does a great job with its sound effects. There's this, well, there's lots of creepy sound effects, but there's one that it feels like you can almost hear it right behind you. And this does a great job of using like spatial sound. And it feels like you're hearing something right behind you. And so like you reluctantly turn and you see that there's nothing there. And so it builds the tension because you know that you're hearing something and you're just like waiting to see what it is. And eventually you do see what it is and the game has jump scares, um, but it doesn't rely on them. It's the dread and the terror is built in the tension and the jump scare is just the thing that breaks it and it's kind of like the payoff 
Remember I gave the example of like when you're in the movie theater and you're the only one who sees something and how that kind of scary thing like lingers and sits with you for a while and makes you think about it. The hallway, um, I guess the bottom of the L part of the hallway goes like past the front door and it's like one of those homes where when you open the front door, you have like the main entrance and the main entrance is a hallway, but there's also a banister up top and kind of like a loft up top. And that's the second floor of the building. On one of the loops of the hallway, if you look up into the banister, you can see the main monster just like creepily staring down at you. And this is something that probably most players miss. But if you're like that one in 10 player that sees that, not only is it a really cool detail that like you can tell your friends about, but once you see that, you're like, has the main monster been watching me on every loop going by? And it gets you in this really weird kind of scary feeling like you're always being watched. And to me, this is where I feel like Kojima really sets himself as next level. You always feel like you're being watched in this game because you are. When people were going to make the one-to-one -one remake and they were kind of debugging and breaking the game apart, they discovered that the model of the monster is almost always tethered to the player and it's in a location where it's right behind the player. This would explain why the sounds related to the monster, remember I said it makes good use of spatial sound and makes it sound like something's right behind you? That's because there really is something right behind you the whole time for the whole game. And it even uses like the way that lights work and shadows are cast. If there's a light behind you and it casts a shadow in front of you, you can see the shadow of the monster for like a split second. And it makes you feel like, like that dread of like, it's right behind me, isn't it? The truly mind-bending part to me is this. Humans get a feeling that they are being watched. I think we've all felt like this. When someone is staring daggers at you from outside your vision, you just feel it. You get like a, a sense that something is wrong. You get the same sense when playing this game. And maybe that's because of the audio spatial cues or the shadows, but Kojima is famous for thinking and designing on another level. And part of me thinks that Kojima knows by just positioning the game models in the way where the monster is right behind you looking at you. The person playing feels uneasy because there is someone watching them. Kojima knows that even if the thing that's watching you is a digital creation, the fear, anxiety, and uneasiness you feel is very much the real thing. I hope you enjoyed today's uh, podcast. This one was super fun to make. Um, if you can't tell, I'm fully into the Halloween season. It's one of my favorite holidays, and I just really like getting in the spirit of it. So, yeah, I hope you like this sort of Halloween special episode. Next episode, episode 19, will be about user interface, otherwise known as UI. And we're going to go back to the regular format um, where it's just kind of a deep dive on a specific topic. If you want to reach out to me, um, you can do so on Twitter at underscore Zaccavelli underscore. 
Um, the same handle on Instagram. Feel free to come join our Discord. Um, it's grown into a pretty nice uh, community with people of all different game engines and backgrounds, um, experience and skills. And yeah, I think it's a great place to come and learn game dev. The open invite is in the show notes. And with that, I'm going to sign off. I have been Zaccavelli, and I bet this whole time you thought I was just teaching you to make video games. <laughs> <laughs>